Two jokes. Why can't you use Fortnite as a password? It's too weak. Ah, thank you. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. What do you call a shoe made of a banana? A slipper. Isn't that good? All right. Hey, this weekend, um, we have a special and amazing guest speaker, Pastor Barry Dennison from Israel Christian Embassy in Jerusalem. He lives in Jerusalem, and he, he messaged me a couple weeks ago and said, hey, I'm going to be in, in the U.S., and um, would you like me to give a Frontlines update of the situation in, in Israel and the Middle East uh, when I come? And I was like, yes, that would be amazing. So uh, we had coffee the other day and connected. And um, Pastor Barry, um, obviously by virtue of living in the land of Israel, which, as you know, is, is pretty tumultuous at the moment, and Bible prophecy is centered um, around, you know, the Middle East, and then the, the bullseye gets a little closer with Israel, and then Jerusalem being the bullseye of the bullseye of Bible prophecy. And so as Christians, as we're, as we're um, you know, going through time and, and we're, as we're looking to the promise of his coming, one of the things we need to focus on is what is God doing in the Middle East, and specifically Israel and even Jerusalem. And so uh, Pastor Barry, by virtue of living in Jerusalem, has a, you know, the bird's eye view of what's going on in the land but he's also a general in the faith and has a deep understanding of the Word of God and of Bible prophecy. And so I, I think it's a, a good opportunity for us to sit under him this morning, learn from this man. And uh, so I want you to welcome uh, with me Pastor Barry Dennison to the platform. I hugged Pastor Kurt. I said, I've never been called a general in the faith before. <laughs> and my heart cries out, okay, Holy Spirit, you live up to that reputation because I can't. I want to take a moment and just look at you. Is that okay? First off, because it's good to see a lot of you that I haven't seen for the last decade. And it's good to see those of you that I've never seen before. Because when I stop and look at you, the Holy Spirit just reminds me, I created them in my image. And it just reminds me that me being here is really not about me. And it is about Israel, but really not. It's about you becoming more like Jesus. And Pastor Emily, thank you for leading this 40 Days of Focus. And I encourage you to, yeah, shut off the phones. Especially since the war, I, I, I've had to recognize my temptation is to wake up and say, what, what's happened in the war? And then an hour and a half later, I'm like, oh, Lord, I haven't even said good morning. And I've been struggling to return to my discipline of not picking up my phone until Jesus and I have sat down over his word, until I've prayed through everything he's told me to pray about. I don't do it always, but that would mean that normally I have 90 minutes to two hours alone 
with his word and his presence. I don't, I'm not setting that out as an example. For me, I don't care if it's 10 minutes alone. But get alone with him before you face the world. And embrace fasting. I won't reference the scripture, but in two places in the gospel, Jesus talks about when he's gone, they will fast. And the next verse says, oil in a new wineskin. Fasting is a part of how the Holy Spirit prepares you to be a vessel for him. During COVID, God put me on a discipline of fasting three days a week. Before COVID, I would have said, no way. Um, now that I'm traveling these last three weeks, well, you're traveling and you're being hosted, you know, fasting three days in a row doesn't work. But after the first few weeks, I miss it when I'm not fasting. I miss it when I'm not saying, Jesus, you are more important than the word, the, the food I eat, the water I drink, the messages I get. Press into him. Lord, tell me where to go. <laughs> and that's an honest prayer. Because when I get to talk about Israel, I've been teaching on Israel, loving Israel for more than 30 years now. So that means I could talk the next 30 hours and not begin to exhaust my, my topics. But I want to go back earlier than that. Next two months from now, in April, I have been following Jesus 51 years. And, you know, we, we tend to not want to talk about our age. Well, you know what? I'm proud of every one of those years. The good ones, the bad ones, my successes, my failures. And I love the opening song you sing based on Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. This may be the most important thing you hear this morning. Think about what is in you that you don't like. We've all got it. That lust of the eyes, that lust of the flesh, that pride of life. Tell that to bless the Lord. All that is in me will bless the Lord. It's for you in the, in the obedience to the Lord to take control over you. You're not a victim. You're a divinely created creator in the image of your God. I came to the Lord, 1973, went to Oral Roberts University, met the most beautiful woman in the world who sends her greeting. She's at MCR in the ICU. I pray you never have to meet her professionally, but if you or your family need to be there, I pray that she cares for you. She's anointed, she's called, she regularly leads people to Jesus. And those are her stories, so I hope you get a chance to hear from her. Debbie and I left Oral Roberts University to the mission field in Brazil. We spent 12 years planning churches, training pastors, and my vision was the Great Commission. My sense of calling was to take the good news of Jesus to those who'd never heard of him. 
And then God interrupted me one day. The Holy Spirit had been talking to Debbie and I about a new chapter. Change was coming. The only time in my life that I did an all-water fast for 30 days. That's how serious I was about, okay, God, something new's coming. I need to be ready for it. In the midst of that, we went to a conference here in the U.S. If I named the speakers who were there, you'd all recognize them. The conference was good. I don't remember a thing that was said. And we went there saying, okay, God, this is going to be a part of the change. Get ready for God to surprise you. While there, I met my first mentor in Christ. When I came to the Lord in 73, he'd already been a believer a couple of years. He was two years older than me. He had just retired from the army. We went out to lunch, and lunch lasted about six hours. Because he started asking me questions from Romans chapter 11. Those questions made me angry, frustrated me, irritated me because my bachelor's degree was in the Greek New Testament. I'd worked through Romans 11 every verse by verse in Greek. And I think because of looking at the trees, I didn't see the forest. It was as if I had never read that chapter before. That started a new chapter of our life. That continues. 11 verse 1. God has not rejected the Jews, has he? And then Paul himself answers the question, may it never be? And he goes on, absolutely not. They're called and finds their purposes. Hey, guess what? We as the church have forgotten half of the purpose of the church. It's a little bit later, about verses um, 11. They were blinded so that the gospel would come to the Gentiles. Whoa. God blinded them. That means it's his sovereign decision. It's not their fault. They are paying the price of blindedness to the gospel so that what? So that you and I can know Jesus. And pay attention to that. It's translated different ways. So that or in order that or for the purpose of provoking them to jealousy. We as the church got introduced to Jesus... Not just for our salvation. Yes, it is for us. But that's not the end purpose. It's so that as we learn to walk with him and love him, they get jealous for the one who's supposed to be their lover. Now, the church historically has traded words. They would not use jealousy and they would use envy. Some of us are going to walk out of church today and we're going to look at that High rise, new pickup. And we're going to be envious. It ain't ours, but we want one like it. But that's not jealousy. The church tried to make the Jews envious by saying, you can't be in these businesses. You can't live in these neighborhoods. I'm talking over 2,000 years of history. If we limit them, 
they'll be envious and want to be a part of the church. Jealousy is very different. Now, Debbie's not here today, but uh, if she were here today and I went and got a cup of coffee and I come back and I see some man with that kind of starry look in his eyes chatting with her, I'd be a little jealous. She's my bride. God. Our Redeemer, our Bridegroom, is also the Redeemer and the Bridegroom of Israel. And he wants our love for him to make them jealous of what was theirs before it became ours. Now later on, Paul says, don't be arrogant towards the original branches, towards the Jews. If you're arrogant towards them, God can break you off of the tree of faith. That made me angry. That destroyed 99% of everything I had learned in the church about the Jewish people. Because everything I'd learned was arrogant, condescending, judgmental. Thankfully, I had a conviction from my first mentor in Christ. And that was that the word of God was more important than any theology or opinion about it. That's why I did my studies in the Greek New Testament, not in New Testament theology. I didn't want to know what men thought about what God said. I wanted to know what God said. Because of that conviction, how many of you are here old enough to remember fingernails going down a chalkboard? It just doesn't work on an iPad or a screen, but it's horribly irritating. It would send ship. Every time I read Romans 11, that was my response. It would, it would viscerally inside of me irritate me. My conviction was, that's my problem, not God's. And so I embarked on reading Romans chapter 11 two or three times a day for the next 18 months. Until I submitted to it, believed it, was ready to embark upon living it. That led to Debbie and I and our three children moving to Jerusalem in 1995. Spent seven years there. Our oldest graduated high school there. And we felt like the Lord said we needed to be at least on the same continent when she came to the U.S. Because the U.S. was Disneyland to our kids. Everything's perfect. Everything's good. And those of us who live here know it's not perfect. It's not all good. <laughs> 2004. Yeah, 2004, we, we moved to Colorado. My wife's a native of Fort Collins. My only sister at that time was in Denver. We got involved with Rez, served there. 2014, I moved back to Jerusalem to take on the role of Vice President of Operations for the International Christian Embassy Jerusalem. This April will be 10 years. What is the International Christian Embassy Jerusalem and why such a strange name for a Christian ministry? In 1979, God had done something unique in the church. 
And in Jerusalem, a group of international Christians gathered together to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. Because of the words of the prophet Zechariah, chapter 14, verse 16, I will draw up the Gentiles, which is just a one-word way of saying those non-Jewish peoples, from every nation to Jerusalem to worship me during the Feast of Tabernacles. 1980, they had the second gathering. First gathering was about 300, 1980 was about 1,000. 1980, Israel passed the Jerusalem law. It's a really short law, and you'd almost, you have to know the whole history of the Mideast to understand why they did that. The law says this, Jerusalem is the eternal, undivided capital of Israel. At that time, there were 13 diplomatic embassies in Jerusalem. And the Arab League responded to those nations, you want to buy any oil? Move your embassy. All 13 embassies left Jerusalem. And these Christian leaders said, but biblically, we believe Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. We're going to create a Christian embassy to say the church worldwide, the Bible-believing church, believes Jerusalem is your capital, and we're here to support you. Now, Jesus talked about this day in Luke chapter 21, verse 24. He's talking about things in the end time, and he comes to Jerusalem, and he says, Jerusalem will be destroyed. People will be slaughtered. Those who survive will be taken captive and scattered to all of the nations of the earth. And Jerusalem will be trampled under the feet of Gentiles. It's an idiomatic way of saying it will be governed and ruled by non-Jewish people. Until he's saying with that one word, until, that's not a permanent status of Jerusalem. It will be controlled by non-Jewish people until the fullness of the Gentiles or the end of the age of Gentiles has come. Jerusalem returned the old city to be Jewish in 1967. Wish I had four or five hours with you. Two quick thoughts, and then I know that Pastor Kurt's got a few questions. That phrase, the end of the age of the Gentiles, which would be a better translation of the Greek, is only used one other place in the New Testament. It's used by the Apostle Paul. Surprise, in Romans chapter 11. In verses 25 and 26. And to sum it up, he says, And when the end of the age of the Gentiles has come, all Israel will be saved. We are on the doorstep of the salvation of Israel and the Jewish people. Now, personally, I've been kind of like Jacob, wrestling with God a little bit over this. 1967. That's like 55 years ago, Lord. Jerusalem became Jewish in 1967. And then I'm reminded, yes and no. Israel conquered the old city of Jerusalem 
and then gave Temple Mount back to the Muslims of Jordan to rule, to try to obtain peace. I don't know what you've heard on the media. I don't know what you understand about the peace process, but Jerusalem's been home 17 years. The Muslims do not want peace. The Palestinians don't want a Palestinian state alongside an Israeli state. In fact, the cry from the river to the sea is a cry for genocidal extermination of the Jewish people and one Muslim nation where Israel is now. Don't intend to get political, but it's also very spiritual. Closing thought here. This phrase, the end of the age of the Gentiles, what's it mean, Jesus? It's not in the Bible. Where, where did this come from? So I had to go look into Jewish literature at the time of Jesus and Paul and realize there's a Jewish concept that goes back several thousand years before Jesus. And they defined the world, human history, into seven days, like the book of Genesis. A day is a thousand years, a thousand years is as a day. And they say the first two days are creation through chaos and judgment. Adam and Eve to Noah and the flood and the Tower of Babel. The second two days are the age of Israel. Abraham, God calling, and the Israel becoming the center of human history. The last two days, Israel no longer exists. And it will be the age of the Gentiles. And it will end with the restoration of Israel and the seventh day, the 7,000 years of the Messiah reigning. How many of you have heard of Heim Solomon? Okay, Heim Solomon was a patriot, one of the founders of America. He was a wealthy Jewish financier, and he spent his wealth funding Washington and the Revolutionary Army, died a pauper, and I haven't looked at these numbers for 20 years, but 20 years ago, the wealth he spent would have been in today's money about $5 billion. And in his journal, he says, why? He says, our prophecies, Jewish prophecies, talk about a powerful Gentilic empire being birthed at the end of the age of the Gentiles, and it will share the light of God's word around the world, leading to the restoration of Israel. So he was sowing his wealth into the birth of America because he believed that America would lead to the rebirth, the resurrection of Israel. One last verse in Romans 11, 31, 32. I don't like how it's translated. Reading it in the Greek, I have that privilege. You don't have to agree. But it says, by the mercy you've received, most translations, they receive mercy. That implies that by us witnessing of the mercy in Jesus, we lead them to the mercy in Jesus. Greek doesn't say that. It's very blunt and direct. By your mercy, they receive mercy. I see that in Jewish lives every day. 
When, as a Christian, we're doing good, we're buying bomb shelters, we're helping the families evacuated from the war, we're, we're doing educational projects, we're helping with the Holocaust home, and they say, why? Well, because we love Israel and the Jewish people. Jesus was a Jew, and we believe he's Messiah. So, I don't know how many times I've just seen them weep, saying, I never believed I'd see the day when Christians would do anything good to the Jews. So as the Christian embassy, we're there, there to show love, support, blessing to the Jewish people in the name of Jesus and the church worldwide. We were down south on the 5th of October. We had 500 Christians with us from about 50 nations, the last of our events of Tabernacles. We met in the high school auditorium or basketball hall of the Sha'ar HaNegev Regional Council. We've been helping them build bomb shelters and put in parks and clinics and stuff in this community for the last 15 years. And they were there and they thanked us and thanked all of our guests. And my friend, Ofer Libstein, who was the mayor of that region, we'd call it a county here in America, he closed out the meeting saying, thank you. Thank you for coming to show your love and support. Thank you for what you're doing to bless our communities. We invite you back next year. And I guarantee you this, we will fight to protect this land until you come back next year. 36 hours later, about four to 5,000 terrorists invaded those communities. We had to run to the bomb shelter between 6 and 7 a.m. 12 times. Thankfully, our home in Jerusalem has a bomb shelter. That's more times I've been in a bomb shelter than the whole decade before. About 8.30, I heard on the news that Ofer Libstein was one of the first who was recognized as dying trying to protect his community, Kafaraza. I've been down in those communities. It's worse than the Nazi Holocaust because even the Nazi killing soldiers had guilt. They would drink themselves into a stupor. Some committed suicide. Some went AWOL. Hamas is proud of it and bragging about it. The Israeli IDF has put together a 46-minute video from the terrorist GoPros that they wanted to document what they were doing. I don't have the courage to watch it. I've been invited. I got a 90-second segment of it, and I watched about 30 seconds, and I had to stop. And I've pulled dead bodies out of cars with the sheriff's office. I've gone into homes of motor, murder victims. I've gone into homes now where the terrorists took a living baby, put it in the oven, turned it on while they raped the mother and the sisters. Hamas is not a resistant movement. It's a movement spurred by the same spirit of Satan that spurred the Amalekite people to try to destroy Israel to stop God's plans from happening. Pastor Kurt, I know you may have some questions. Come on up. I was telling Pastor Barry that those images and those scenes that are so difficult to even talk about or mention, it's, it's terrible to even mention or talk about, needs to be said because we need to be confronted with the horrors of what happened. 
And like you said, with the, with the Holocaust and the Germans, at least those people were many times riddled with guilt. But what we see over here is pure evil. is not a resistance movement. It is pure evil. And uh, I wanted to just take a couple minutes and just ask a couple questions uh, to Pastor Barry. Um, and we'll get ready to close here in a few minutes. But October 7th, um, you're in Jerusalem. I actually woke up in the middle of the night uh, trying to fall back asleep. I do what many of you do. I grabbed my phone and started scrolling on Instagram or different things. And I began to see these images um, Israel's nine hours ahead, and of course, the, the horrors of October 7th began to uh, be broadcasted. Um, there were, of course, horrifying images coming out of what was happening near the Gaza Strip. And I was wondering, uh, Pastor Bray, in your estimation, are there any uh, silver linings in spite of this situation? Are there silver linings that, you know, God works all things together for good to those who love him, call according to the purpose? Are there silver linings? Um, during this tragedy? First off, God does work all things together for good and takes the worst the enemy does and brings about redemption. Um, a few weeks ago, Debbie and I had lunch with our best friends in Israel. He's a retired brigadier general in the IDF. First off, he looks at me and he says, Barry, I think this is the beginning of the war of Gog and Magog from Ezekiel 38. But Ezekiel 38 doesn't say how long it's going to be. It might be five years, it might be 150 years. But the Jews have always interpreted it as beginning during Tabernacle Sukkot. And Saturday the 7th was the last day, the high holiday, closing out the eight-day feast. But then his wife, Rena, looks at us and he says, Danny, tell them, this is God's judgment of our arrogance and our independence and our confidence without him. And he's calling us to repent and humble ourselves before God. Jürgen, um, the president of the embassy, his son Shimon, he has two sons in the army, but his son Shimon joined about a year ago, April, has been in and out of the Gaza multi multiple times in combat troops. Amazing stories of miraculous provision. Uh, one time a tank rolls by about six inches from his head and for some unknown reason he just had this urge to roll over as the tank went by. Otherwise, he would have been crushed. But he says, Dad, before October 7th, my company, which is roughly 60 soldiers, maybe 10% prayed every day. After October 7th, maybe 10% are not praying every day. It's, it's stirring a, a, a call to faith in the hearts of the Jewish people. Their government let them down. Their army let them down. Their confidence let them down. And part of that, there is a messianic community in Sidirot, a town right nearby. Several of the children, the weeks before, were waking up with night terrors, dreams of men in black with machine guns invading their homes and killing everybody. And as believers, the community said, we need to pray for this. We need to pray for God's protection. We need to humble ourselves and turn to Jesus. The day after Jürgen heard that story from the community we're helping, they're, they're now evacuated to near Jerusalem. He and the foreign minister and other ambassadors went to visit 
Beret, a farming community that was heavily devastated. And they were greeted by the psychologist. And as she's talking through what happened, she said, I'm not sure why, but I feel like I need to tell you this story. In the weeks leading up to it, children in our community woke up with night horror dreams of terrorists in black coming into their homes with machine guns. And we said, don't worry about it. We've got the best army in the world. We've got the best security fence. Go back to sleep, be at peace. And she said, I think God was telling us. <laughs> These are the dynamics of what God's doing in Israel. Yeah. God is on the move, for sure. Uh, let, me, let me ask two more quick questions here. Um, Iran, obviously, for those of you that don't know, um, is the, the, the Shia Iran is backing Hamas in Gaza, Hezbollah in Lebanon, the Houthis in Yemen, as well as proxy terrorists in Syria and Iraq. I mean, they're with, they're with funding, weapons, training, intelligence. Iran is fueling, from a logistics standpoint, um, all of this chaos in the Middle East. I, my question to you, Pastor Barry, is what do you hope happens with this ex- uh, existential threat of Iran? What do you think is most likely to happen with that threat? Well, that's an that's a interesting question. Um, we in the West, we Christians, those of us with civilizations built on biblical standards, have a trouble believing people will really do the evil they say they're going to do. Germany didn't believe Hitler when he wrote Mein Kampf years before he got elected. China didn't believe Mao Zedong when he wrote his red book about and ended up killing 40 million people. Iran says they will nuke Israel, destroy every Jew living there. Hezbollah has, Hamas had about 40,000 rockets. And I use the term rockets because they had to be aimed when they were launched because they couldn't change anything in route. I, Lebanon, Hezbollah, has over 400,000 guided missiles provided by Iran. And the Israeli government is preparing for war with Lebanon, telling the population to be prepared because they may have 10,000 civilian casualties because these missiles can go all the way to southern Israel to Elat. They can be guided en route. They, 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 they're a much bigger threat than Hamas. About Iran, I pray that God does something to change the leadership, but because of prophecy about Iran coming together against Israel, I don't know if that's going to happen. I pray for Israel to be victorious and eliminate the threat out of Lebanon. Um, March 3rd, I'll be back in Jerusalem with our daughter, son-in-law, and our three grandkids. We live together. And we're like, Lord, this is where you've planted us. We've talked about, Kelly, do you and the boys want to go to the States for this season? And it's like, no, this is where God's planted us. Um, could it get ugly? It could. Yeah. Is Jesus still Lord? Yeah. Amen. Amen. All right. Last question I have for you. I, when I've, I've been to Israel three times, the last time we were there, we were riding the bus uh, we had just gotten in there, and we were riding the bus through Tel Aviv, and I saw Jewish uh, soldiers, mostly young soldiers, standing on a, 
uh, men and women sitting on the platform waiting for their, their train. And I was just struck with like, I'm witnessing a miracle unfold here. This does not happen. People are not dispersed for 2,000 years to the ends of the world and just come randomly come back. This was a miracle and God was doing it. How many know that our Bible um, foresees many things that will be negative in the last days? And the Bible foresees a regathering of the, the Israel at the end of the age. But it's obvious to me that it isn't just, the Bible didn't just foresee it, that God actually is calling them back. That God himself says, I'm, I'm calling you back. to. I have a plan, purpose, and destiny for this city, for this place, for this region, for these people. And so in my estimation, uh, I don't know about you, but I want to be on the right side of history. Amen. And I don't want my opinions or political things to get in the way of, of me being on the right side of what God is doing. Because if God did it, and he's, you know, when, when the, uh, uh, Saul was on the road to Damascus, Paul, before he became Paul, on the road to Damascus, Jesus' question is, uh, Saul, Saul, why do you kick against the goads? Why are you opposing me? Well, I don't want to be in that boat opposing what God is doing. If God is regathering them, I want to be for it. Um, so my, my uh, question is, how can us Christians, Americans, how can we take a positive stand for God's purposes for the Jewish people, the nation of Israel? Um, what, are, what are some things that we can do, practical things and spiritual things, I guess? Um, Go to icejusa.org. Um, just start out by requesting the emails. We send out about two a week with updates on what's happening. ICEJ stands for International Christian Embassy Jerusalem USA for the usoffice.org. Um, if you are an intercessor, if you pray regularly, you want to be involved in prayer movements, send an email to prayer at icejusa.org. Out of Jerusalem, we have a daily two-hour Zoom prayer call with about 50 nations present. They get translation into their different languages. Usually around 1,500 participants it's 4 to 6 p.m. Jerusalem, which means it's 7 to 9 a.m. Colorado. Um, you can, on the website, you can find how to be in it, or you can ask in the prayer at icejusa.org. We also have our USA team leading certain prayer watches daily through the week for Israel based on current events. So do pray and give. Isaiah 66, the last few verses. Again, I, read the word. <laughs> Doesn't on. matter how often you've read it, the Holy Spirit will open your eyes and you'll see something yeah. new. In my 51, 51 years being a believer, I try to read the Bible every year. Maybe I've done it half. So I've read Isaiah at least 25 times. It was during COVID that I saw in the chapter 66, he said, he sees the church. How does he describe it? And God says, from the Gentiles, I will draw together those of every tribe and tongue and nation. And I will put my banner over them, which goes back to Isaiah 11. The banner is Messiah, Jesus, the root of Jesse. And then I will send them back to all of the Gentiles and the nations that have not seen my glory and don't know me. That's the church. He saw the church in the Great Commission. 
Then the next verse, verse 18, says, And they will carry your sons and daughters back to Jerusalem. And when they do, it will be like a holy offering to me in the temple. So part of God's purpose for the church is to make them jealous, but it's to also help them return. The Christian embassy has helped over 250,000 Jews return. In the last decade, we've helped 90% of the Ethiopian Jews, which are one of the poorest community. Their standard of living is about 400 years ago. Currently in Israel, thankfully, there are about 140,000 Ethiopian Israelis, but there's still about 5,000 left. And there's governmental bureaucratic problems to try and get them home to Israel. So you can make a difference in Israel, in the life of Israel. God bless Amen. you. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Barry. Why don't you guys stand to your feet, give him a hand.